Welcome, Welcome to, to Art with. <laughs> Fiona Verity. Say it again. Fiona? No. Fiona Verity. And Julie Nicholson. Thank you, Sarah Robson, for joining us on Art Wank. You're very kind. We are sitting in um, your wonderful exhibition in Manly Art Gallery. It's called Abstract Realities. Um, there's three artists, Julian Goddard from Perth, yourself, Sarah Robson, and David Thomas from Melbourne. And it's a really fascinating exhibition full of um, other abstract artist works plus coloured walls that really like bring out the energy in all the artwork. And there's three rooms you really have to start at one end it's a real journey through to the three rooms it's mm. really it's really exciting so um it says that it's to create a site sensitive installation of discrete works for the experiencing of abstract art in a way that is temporal open sensory and real connected to rather than excised from the world we inhabit can you unpack that slightly for people that maybe don't get that kind of language like me (laughs) (laughs) well thank you for having me Um, I think one of the first things is that abstract art for a lot of people is um, intimidating yes definitely the the first thing that they say is oh I don't understand it I don't understand anything about it Mm. and so the exhibition was an attempt to demystify it but certainly not to reduce its complexity. And in fact, it was the opposite. And we're in a room where there's many different types of abstract art. Uh, so that, that idea that a lot of them also, as you'll notice, are very simple. Mm. But we didn't want to reduce the complexity of the work. And abstract art is often as well talked about in terms of it being reductive. And it's not. There are formal elements which are reductive. It is about taking out a lot of diverse elements, a lot of elements which you automatically associate with the real world. But by taking out those elements, what we've tried to do is open the experience, open the relationships that the work, in fact, does form. And we needed the three spaces to look to delve into that complexity in some way so that the first room is very tonal and it's a way of we spoke before Fiona about an interval it's about preparing you Mm. for a a temporal experience for the experience of color Mm. everyone immediately with color Mm. it's color it's instant you Mm. feel it So that's not as difficult, but to explain a temporal aspect of a work is much more complex, and Mm. that is done very well, I think, by uh, David in the first room, where he's got this work titled Timeline, which is a black line. He says his great (laughs) (laughs) one-liner. He's so cheeky, I love it. (laughs) It's got a very good sense of humour. And that as well, that humour is very important because, again, it breaks down that intimidating side yeah. to it. it doesn't need to be so serious, does it? It, it doesn't need to be so serious. Mm. It doesn't. Of course there is a serious... It mm. comes from a tradition. It comes from a history which is much more rich and longer and broader than it's ever given um, than you necessarily know about. We mm. talk about the Western beginning Mm. of abstraction art but within indigenous cultures Mm. it has gone back to the beginning of time so I think that that is also something which needs to be understood about abstraction that it's not just this western or eastern Mm. invention Mm. it is very much uh, been part of society for a long time Mm. Mm. because it can be deemed slightly elite because you do have to dig further than the looking you have to have some knowledge. Um, yeah, and connect, you know, connect some, to some your Some people emotion. would feel very disconnected from it, fearful, I don't know enough, I'm not in that group, I don't, or, I don't understand or it. Or frightened to say the wrong thing. Yes, I think that I've, comes up a lot, we've, yeah. we have found, is that people are fearful perhaps of abstraction because they don't want to look silly. By, but when you break it down, like if you ask children, yeah, 
How does that painting make you feel? Julie's great with her daughter Flo at the art gallery. She'll often get her to say, okay, make some movement. How does that painting make you feel move in a way, in, in a response? See, but my, you know, we've talked about this often, but my mother is immovable on this <laughs> fact that, you know, you couldn't make her move in front of a painting. She would... I can't imagine what she would say in this exhibition, Sarah. She <laughs> has no concept beyond what she can see and... I can't seem to break her out of it. Like, what do you say to, to people like that? Look, there's a wonderful work of David's, which is a black reflective painting, and you'll see one panel in the third room yeah. on the floor. And when a still painting shows us that we are moving. So I mm. would suggest taking your mother to... <laughs> Good because luck, Because you're, you're <laughs> confronted by this black, what appears to be, you know, a black uh, with dust. So... It's got evidence of time, of use, of being experienced. And you can't help but see yourself moving when you move past this painting. But I think for some people it is too... It's a bridge too far. Yeah. They just... And and we're not... It's not a matter of converting people. Mm. It's a matter of what we've tried to do, and titles are often a way of giving people an entry into the work. Mm. Um, But to me it's like a language as Mm. well, is that if you go to a foreign country and you don't speak the language, you can hear it and you say, oh, that sounds really beautiful, what a beautiful sounding language, but you have no idea what they're talking about. If you want to find out more about that country and their culture then you need some language. You need, uh, whether that's body language, uh, people can make themselves understood in numerous ways mm. without sharing a common language. Yeah. But you need to also have the desire mm. to understand. And that was our reasoning for putting some of these catalogues and to show that, one, these, these types of works are exhibited all over the world, often in artist-run spaces, sometimes commercial galleries, sometimes um, institutions. But if you would like to find out more, it's there. The onus is on you to do that. Yeah, so it might require a bit of extra work from the viewer, because what looks so simple and the sentence that pushes me over the edge is that you get from a lot of people who view abstraction and they don't like well I could do that if I hear well I could do that that's exactly what my mum said I know and and your sister said it as well and I said no you couldn't (laughs) (laughs) I know and it is actually it's what we were talking about before the formal aspects of it yeah, it's yeah. actually a lot more difficult than you think. Exactly, and it the simpler a piece is, actually, the more complex it is. Yeah. you can't hide behind it. There's nothing, nowhere to hide. No, no. And I think no. it's it's like abstract work to me is like an, a different dimension. Mm. It's it's scratching under the surface of what everyone knows or sees. There's something other about it, and I think yeah, you have to be open to that. And I don't think my mum's open to other dimensions bless her cotton socks and that's okay (laughs) right I think the point is that's okay if you don't understand it it's okay to have work out there it's okay to have Shakespeare in the world that a lot of people don't understand that's okay it's just it's it's not for everyone Mm. in a way but does that make it elite then and not for the masses Uh, look I don't think so um, one of the reasons for the coloured walls was to to not have that experience, mm. to feel that you've, no matter who you are, you can walk into that room and you can feel the colour, mm. yeah. you can feel it. If you stay in there long enough, you start seeing the reflections on the floor. So it, it's, and it also sensitises you to when you walk out that door of the gallery, you see colour in a different way. Mm. And so I think that what we've tried to do is is to say, look, if you want to understand the work further, yes, you, you do have to look into the language of it a bit. You do have to, you can look into the history of it a bit. And with these two pa- paintings, which are from the Manley collection, mm-hmm. the Margot Lewis and the Frank Hinder, 
they both give some sort of historical reference to the works within this room. Um, but yeah, the other aspect it. which is really important is that it's an international language and people overlook that. You actually don't have to know anything about it. Mm. You yeah. can experience it. You don't have to be... There's an English artist there, David Batchelor, who's a colourist. There's a German artist. There's a New Zealand artist. And some of the ones which appear to be the most cerebral... Yeah. <laughs> there's one over there which is a yellow monochrome called Digit Painting. It's actually painted with his finger drawn across the surface. So again, if you actually look at the work, there's Ooh. a very human side to it, and, yeah. and a humorous side. The mm. digit painting, I mean, yeah. yeah, actually, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, yeah, no, I, 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 you know, I'm an abstract painter, so I, but I find myself, like you were saying, between a, being a sculptor and a painter between like painting something realistically and painting something abstract I feel like I'm coming into the middle of it I suppose that's just what happens after you know keep painting and painting and painting you find I feel like I need something even if it's not like you can see that it's a tree I need something to hang off that is tangible I don't know why and I'm not saying I don't enjoy other people's work that don't have it in but for me I'm realising that I need that in it. So funny. And, but I think it is very personal yes. mm. on that level. Yes. It's very personal. Yeah. And it's not... I used to have a studio in the bottom of a car garage and at one point I did a murals as a way to... You, you know, you have to support art. It's a very bad habit. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> I was doing murals and I had... The, it was for a children's clothing shop and I had cowboys, I had Mises and butts and the desert scene. And the mechanic came in and he said, oh, so you can actually paint. <laughs> oh, hilarious. And I said, yes. That's, I, that's I up there with the, I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do this through choice, not... You should put that on your CV. Because I can't do the other. And I think that's... It's a question of choice. Yes. Yeah. come in and this is what works for for me. This Mm. is the the way that I feel gives voice to what I want to say. And it's what I've enjoyed about the collaboration with David and Julian. There was definitely an element of finding your tribe... Yeah, so yes. how, did, the, how yes. did this exhibition come about? So how did you guys meet and how did this... Because this, this has obviously been in a long time planning. This doesn't fall out the no, sky. This is a big deal. <laughs> it didn't. And with COVID, it got delayed quite a few oh. times, um, which was fortuitous because with three children, a PhD in the middle of things, it would have You probably just, needed oh, you've, that. You've just broken. done your PhD? Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, goodness. Yeah, no, they finished it in um, a year ago. Oh. Um, oh, my goodness. But I've had a long association with Catherine, yeah. with this gallery. Um, and so I knew I wanted to do something here. Great. Um, and I found, I did a lot of research, having done my previous studies. Was, I was basically studying from... My first degree finished in 1984, but then I started again in 2010 and did two masters back to back, and then the oh, PhD. Sarah. Oh, are you are you punishing yourself for a reason, Sarah? <laughs> this is an well, artwork in itself. It was very hard to manage um, being a full time exhibiting artist with three children. Yes. So yeah. I found that the way that I could do the retain my interest mm. was and keep working was to study okay and with the phd it became i really wanted to further my work and i wanted to be in touch with people who understood the sort of work that i was trying to make and who would push me yes and i was going to say was that to help you kind of form more in your self of what you were saying yeah to yeah. articulate. To articulate. That's the word. To articulate this sentence. Exactly I was trying to say. Like, yeah. That's I'm, where you I, are, Julie. I know. I'm yeah. trying to articulate something and I'm like, I can't. Yeah. So, would your advice be to, if you can. Go and do a PhD. Yeah. Not, no, no. Well, wind it back. <laughs> a master. Why, why did you do philosophy and not fine arts? Or uh, Well, because I mean, when I was very young, I looked at doing philosophy, but I always was a maker. 
Mm. Yeah. I was making, I could, and in fact, the PhD is enough to put you off ever. You're the second person who's told us that. Yeah. Don't I mean, do a PhD. Well, uh, no, look, it was the best thing I've ever done, but you certainly, um, I, I started thinking, I am the world's slowest reader. There oh. must be something wrong with me. Oh. <laughs> And then I would pick up a book and read a, another book, you know, it wasn't to do with the PhD, and finish it in a couple of days. Oh. And people would say, oh, my God, you've read that so quickly. Um, the philosophy books, you're wading through oh. mud. Often. Yeah. So, oh. but, but endlessly fascinating. Yes. but they Wormhole s- after wormhole after wormhole. But it did really help me refine and articulate what I was interested in and that in turn really helps you to develop your work because I think you're not struggling all the time to see Mm. why you're doing something you you have a little bit of it's very hard in art as you both know as artists to have those parameters Mm. Because anything's possible. Yeah. Yes. And to <laughs> then break down those parameters, but then bring them back in. Mm. Yeah. It's that. It's true. And the, you need the constraints, but then that's right, you need to break them. But if you don't have any constraints, God, I mean, you just never get anything done. No, yeah. exactly. Yeah. You, yeah. Can't make a, you, you can't make a decision. You can't, no. Um, well, you know, this could be this, this could yeah, be yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you go to an exhibition, you're like, oh, I could, I could yes. do that, I could do that. Oh, I could do everything. And then you go home going... Oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do anything. <laughs> yeah, I do anything and nothing. So, like, what did the PhD consolidate for you? Well, I think the important thing when when before I started, I researched who I wanted to do it with. That was the most important thing for me to actually find. Um. And I ended up doing it in Melbourne, despite the difficulties that that was going to... So when you say do it, where do you mean, like, which university? Or the lecturer. Or the, lect- the supervisor. The supervisor, the yes. Supervisor. Oh. That's a, yeah. Someone the supervisor. For yeah. me, that was key, because yeah. I did want to be stretched, I wanted to be... You've got to get the right relationship, haven't you? I have the right relationship. Yeah. And so that, getting back to the earlier question, that was how I met Julian. I came across... Ah. We knew that was a question. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. Was a- <laughs> <laughs> we, we could be quite abstract with our questions. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Okay, no, so he, what was he doing the PhD? So he was the head of School of Art of Stop RMIT. Oh. And I read some of his writings and I thought, yes. And then as it turns out, he also was head of the School of Art at Deakin University in Perth and had a gallery there for years, um, Goddard de Fidesz. Oh. And the gallery that I was with, Gitta Weisser Gallery, in fact, at art fairs, we had been positioned next to each other so there were all these commonalities so I knew that I had found the right person Great. and he then introduced me to David so that's the key for me, it's about finding I didn't want to just do a PhD with anyone or Mm. with anywhere at anywhere Mm. but so it was a way of understanding my practice and articulating where it stands in the genre of history of of art well, the history of non-objective, okay. of abstract art, whether, and in fact saying that allow, gives you the ability to say, in fact, it's not strictly non-objective art. And yeah. one of the things that we've tried to do is to break down, again, those barriers. Mm. Because people say, oh, you're geometric painting, or you're... Yeah, you're hard edge. Work, or, yeah. or you're hard edge. Yeah. And that's what I like about the felt pieces, very hard edge in one sense, but, but you could dissolve it, yeah. yeah, in another. Which and is why the felt is so fascinating when you think about the the construction of it. You know, like it it doesn't have a warp and a weft. No, so it's not it's fundamentally like, it's not geometric, which is magic. why you get those wonderful plays mm. in its shape. Um, there is a denser felt which mm. stands up a lot more. Um, I have tried to make felt, and if you've ever tried to make felt, I have. Tried. Oh. Failed. I don't know how you make it that oh. thick. No. Oh, goodness me. Well, mechanically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Why did you choose felt? It's because I feel like your work sort of, it's two truths going on. There's, like you say, the yin and the yang. There's two things happening at the same time with a lot of your works. Like, is is that why you chose felt? Because it it's organic and can be construed as 
hard-edged as well. Yes, exactly. So it's you can, and there are certain limitations with it that I've come to know. There, There are. There's a gesture that you can get in paint on paper that mm. you can't get on felt. Mm. So it, it has its limitations. But it was a way for me of reconciling those two sides, the geometric and the natural. And often my work always has those two sides. People, I found it was problematic making the sculptures because people, the forms were so dominant. Mm. For me, mm. the forms were there just to mould the space. Mm. <laughs> I wanted yeah. the space to be obvious. Okay. But people were always stuck on the forms. Yes. And so it's, it's around, it's not about looking at the object, the form, the felt. It's about absorbing the space around. Because, and you can really feel that with the piece in the first room of this exhibition where you're messing with us. In, which I love <laughs> and the way that you've pinned that piece and it looks light and it's floating but the way you walk around it and I always want to look behind things I like, it's that kind of how is it there mm. which is what I want you to do yes. I want it to give you that feeling that you're, you're yeah. looking around it that yeah. you're mobile around it mm. and that um, question, question the piece. What's behind it? What's under it? What's yeah. above it? Yeah. And I think that's what lots of people, perhaps, with abstract art or abstraction, is that it it asks you a hell of a lot of questions. So when yeah. we say to Julie's mother, when she goes, I don't, I don't, what is it? It's just rubbish or whatever she says. It's well. What's it doing to you? You know, That's she it. says well, nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've no. asked her that. Well, David, David, again, he quotes Frank Stella when Frank Stella said, uh, "When you look at a work of art, it um, what you see is what you see." And he said, "No, in fact, I think someone else said it. He said what you see is yourself." Mm. Well, there, so that's you, a deep dive on my mum right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen nothing. You've seen your prejudices or, your, or, yes. your or what you don't down. know. Absolutely. What you don't know. And that's the confronting part with people. We were talking yes. all, earlier about teaching adults to draw and I yeah. did some drawing uh, courses with adults. And it's, again, that they feel so intimidated. Totally. That they might do something wrong. Mm. And I think that's what people find, again, intimidating about the work, is, oh, I might be thinking about it in the wrong way. Mm. Uh, there is no right or wrong way. No. Um, but I think your work in particular has some sort of human element to it, whether it's the felt, you know, because that's very comforting for people. They know what it is. Um, you know, I... I don't respond that well to someone like Bridget Riley, but Sean Scully, because it's got the handing it and the brush strokes and something like that, it softens it for me, and I can, mm. I can, yeah. I can really get that. Yeah, which is when you look up closer <coughs> to David's paintings, you see very much the brush mm. mark. Um, but I think that. It's also important with this sort of work to see it it's in its historical context. So yes. I think with Bridget, artists like Bridget Riley, you see them in their historical context. Mm. Then whether you like them or not is yeah. up to you. But I think that's an important way in with a lot of the work. Do you mean in the sense of... So, again, we're back to the... I could have done that. Um, comment. So I recently saw Jackson Pollock's blue poles at Canberra re-saw, I've seen it before and interestingly since having done the, doing the podcast with Julie and watching her develop as a more abstract painter than before I saw more in that work now than I ever saw before because I think I... You're, you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> I knew she'd say something cheeky but it is, it's, it is a case of Whereas but with a Rothko, when recently went to the Tate, I was there, I was all excited, I was by myself, and I was like, okay, I'm ready, I'm ready. And I sat down in the Rothko room, and I'm like, okay, come on, come on. I want to feel the vibration everyone tells me about. I've got nothing, it does nothing. And I th- think that that's a valid point for people, is that not every 
thing does the same for everyone. Absolutely. So I get nothing from a Rothko. Mm. Yeah. But you have yeah. to see enough of it, don't you? I think if you keep putting yourself in those situations yes. to understand it, one day something is going to really wow you. Yeah, and you don't know what that will be. No. no you it, don't know what that will no. be. But it's it, people were asking as well, and this... Colour is very intuitive. Mm. The colours in there are not according to a colour theory. <laughs> no. They're not positioned in accordance to a colour wheel. Yeah. It was very intuitive what's going to work where, but how do you want it to be. Initially we had thought, David and I, of doing a very um, neutral colours. So the colour was barely noticeable. And mm. In fact, we like to do another project (laughs) but the yellow that's behind your piece that we were looking at earlier that's um we'll put some photos in the show notes so people can see what we're talking about as well as of course they have to come to the exhibition but the yellow behind your um what's the name of the piece unfolded color is the complementary colour to the pur- the intense magentary purple that you've got on that piece. So is that a vi- you've selected? I would imagine that purple is vibrating more because of the yellow, or is it? Was it not? Yes and no, because okay. it was initially planned to go on the red wall. Ah. Uh, but I knew it wouldn't work on the red wall. Be a completely different piece. Yeah, yeah they, they wouldn't work. But a lot of people were asking at the opening, "Oh, do the works work on a white wall?" Yes, and yes, they do. Yes, and in fact, details like the little pink slither yeah. really pops. Line yeah, on a white wall that jumps out. Yeah, it becomes very intense. Whereas it's overwhelmed with the relationship on a yellow wall, on the yellow wall. Yeah. So it was. And David using these very high-key tones in his uh, smaller paintings up there. Mm. Again, seeing them against that big field of blue or green, does it heighten the intensity of those colours? In fact, if you take them off, Mm. they're just as intense. Mm. They are high-key colours. So I think it, it... But it's interesting to see them in that... Definitely. ...context and to see them... What happens is, again, it's breaking down. A lot of abstract works or modernist works were were containing, keeping it within the parameters of a rectangle, of a form. And for a lot of artists, that was very frustrating. Mm. And there was a movement called the Neoconcretists in South America. And they felt that they couldn't, for them, they had to break completely out and go more into performance art um, because they didn't feel that they could break that down within the works themselves. Whereas when you've... The idea of putting perhaps smaller works on big walls is that you do... Where does the painting stop? Mm. Where does it stop? You're challenged to think, is it here, is it... And by bringing the coloured walls into another space... Mm. It, the installation is not contained within a room. It keeps going. So, again, we're just trying to break down mm. those barriers mm. and yet have this, what David calls, attentive viewing. So you are drawn, with small works, you're physically drawn towards them to look closer, mm. closely at them. Um, mm. And so putting them in that big field, it, you naturally can't want to come, come closer in. to a work. Mm. So just... And that then changes your experience of the coloured walls. Mm. So it is about being open to all those really subtle but, yeah. but very important changes. Yeah. But, but you have to be open to it. Yes, yes. I think that's the key. Yeah. I think yes, the do. key is that, and it, when you're looking at any art, whether it's a performance, you know, like a musical performance, a spoken word, a visual thing, theme, any genre of art, just... Be open yeah. and yeah. feel. Yeah. That's it. And look. Yeah. Look, we were at the Art Gallery of New South Wales yesterday morning and there were these, um, I think it was a brack that was there. And David was, we were talking about, he was saying the difference with the Picasso and the brack where the Picasso, you might see that one line is built up with a series of lines 
whereas the bracket was one line and mm. not as um, refined. Yeah. But all of the direction of the brush strokes, the areas which were slightly glazed, that's what people also don't talk about anymore. And that, I think, as an artist, is really frustrating. Mm. And that's, in a way, what I was trying to say about the formal elements. Mm. That also looking at a work, it's not arbitrary that they've used glazed paint in one corner. It's not arbitrary in that Agnes Martin behind you that some lines are very faint and others are harder. (gasps) But you really have to look at the work to see that. But also looking at the maker making, so watching Agnes Martin draw and how long she takes Mm -hmm. and just even that whole feeling of her getting up and slowly going over and just putting that mark in so purposefully, purposefully. Mm. and mm. it's to, to anybody who doesn't want to spend the time looking and that's their choice it, they might come in here and go oh that's just a line I can do that but when you watch the artist making it that for me really helps my understanding because when I saw her do that, it blew my mind. Yeah, and you, you start to understand the skill yeah, that's that right. is involved. In yeah. Totally. And people often, that's the other thing, is that they don't see the skill that's actually involved mm. in a lot of these works. And mm. Agnes Martin, I always loved that, when I first saw her works at the Whitney in mm. the flesh, and I could see um, bits of hair from the paintbrush and again, they, they look, they mm. could be really impersonal. But then you see the hair from the paintbrush. And again, it's this intensely. Then you see her. Yes. You feel her painting yeah, it. And it totally. a real connection there. Mm. That, again, is very human. Very and, much. You know? Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so back to your work next door with the felt. We, you were talking before about how, you know, you're in between sort of painting and sculpture yes. and how you could have hung it. Like all this show would be so different hung in a different way. A lot yeah. of shows could be quite the same hung in a different way, but this one in particular hung in a different way could be a completely different show. But So your work, if you did put the felt straight on the wall, you're saying... Essentially, people would be like, well, it's just a painting, but it's felt. But you've hung it in a sort of folded Sculptural, away from the, yeah. the wall. That, and I'm fascinated by sculpture that's sort of 2D, but it's sculpture too. Yeah, because you then start noticing the smaller details within it. Mm. You notice that the felt is actually 10 millimetres thick. Mm. So instead of looking at a sculpture in the sense that where it's just as deep as it is wide. You, you're noticing the, the nuances between things. Mm. I think that's a, a very important aspect to it. And just as in that feeling of weight yeah. is really important. And you get that feeling of weight through it being hung. Mm. So what, yeah, because what is, we had this with an artist that we spoke to um, on the podcast, Morgan, the beautiful Morgan Stokes, who is a painter, but there's no paint. So what, and we had this long discussion with him, and we Googled, what is a painting? And there was no mention of paint. You know, you don't need paint in a painting. So what do we, how do we describe a sculpture? Is it 2D, 3D? Is that the difference with, I mean, I know it doesn't really matter, but Yes, because I was about to say that that um, unpacking what is a painting. I know. A lot of, oh, uh, yes. And, and in, yes, that's a that's a that's a that's whole nother podcast. That's, yeah. a whole nother <laughs> that's a PhD. <laughs> yeah, that's a PhD. That, yes. is, that is. There's been um, For me, it's about the experiencing of it. Okay. That it's not just what is within the picture plane. Yes. It's it in relationship to the space around. Okay. It. So, do you it, have to be able to walk? Around. No, you don't, no, do you? No, no. It's just experiencing the materiality of it. Okay, yes. Um, it's like a monochrome where you can look at a monochrome as um, a void. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can look at it as an interval. 
you can look at it as a way that it makes you aware of what the colours around it. Yes. Um, you can... It, it plays on that ambiguous line between is it an object or is it a, a plane... The plane, and yeah. I suppose that's really that line that I'm playing with is yeah. between it being an object and yes. a being a plane that you see you yes. in one particular way. And there is a... Oh, I can't remember the name of it now. Sorry, it's one of those things that's gone. But there is a theory about when things are horizontal, how we see them as an object or as a plane yeah. and, and then vertical, when they're vertical we see them in a different way so there's also oh, yeah. a, a very which is really fascinating with the piece on, in the middle of, of the third gallery space because they're laying on the floor that completely changes your perception of the piece doesn't it well I, I, I don't want to go close to it because I feel like I'm going to fall on it. <laughs> I, have to, so I don't really want to look over the top of them because I'll be like, oh, I'll kick it or something. <laughs> so it does change the way you even view it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. It's it like, changes your experience of, yes. of the work. And if it's the photograph sh- yeah. is taken from above, you're looking down yes. and you're mimicking that when you look down into it. And the reflection, if you look in the black painting there, you'll see the reflection of mm. all the coloured paintings on the walls mm. and the white monochrome. That's so all of those, it is about all of those relationships, mm. really. Yes. And that, that what we're seeing is a network of mm. relationships. Mm. And what I'm trying to do is make you think about those relationships. The corner piece, the string piece, which again is for me a very important counterbalance to the weight of the felt. Mm. Mm. Uh, You have that linearity of the string, but that form is made by gravity. Yeah. And it's also when you look at it, it, your mind can't quite work out whether it's two-dimensional or it's three-dimensional. So that's why you see the curve coming out of the wall towards you, Mm. because our sort of way of perceiving uh, is gets confused. Yeah, I really, really like I like that. It's like a drawn line yeah. gone for a thing. And you know, and it's if you didn't have your heavier felt piece in there, that might seem heavy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or if an ant was looking at it, they'd go, Oh, that is heavy. Oh, that is. So so everything's relative, right? To yeah. your like yes. you say, your yeah. perception. Well, it's yeah. relate the relationships. What, yeah. And that was the important that's why the three rooms are so important within the show and that's why the whole, the work is not only the work within it, it is the three rooms because each one affects how you view the other piece. And yet, and that's why it says in the blurb, discrete works. They are discrete works mm. at the same time. You Makes me want to go home and rehang all my paintings. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. It's like when you see a well-curated show... <laughs> makes you realise how badly you create your own art at home. <laughs> Not my, but the my, my art I've purchased and how you can completely change. Yeah, but most people don't have this much wall space. No. There's no, not many gaps in here. Well, we were talking about before, about going back to Jackson Pollock. Yes. And that's where it is really important, I think, to know about enduring work. Still, it can still remain a good painting. And mm. it remains a good painting because it is well done it's, mm. um, but to see it in the context of how revolutionary a work is you need to look at it in, in its context yes yes and that's i think what is that is very important if you really want to see the fullness that is within each work then you do need to understand the context that something is in and just quite how extraordinary it was at that time and yeah, that's right. And yeah. it can't ever be experienced like someone who saw it, you know, in the year that it was made. Right? Yeah. Like you just, it's different experience, but still as valid. But, you know, you don't, that's why you should always go out to art galleries in the year that it's made. <laughs> Get the experience. Now, that's what I was going to say. <clears throat> I came to the talk um, that you and David did on Saturday and I find when I, you know, it's like watching a documentary you you just understand stuff a lot better you know you're like oh okay i understand what that like apart from the titles do you think there should be more 
explaining. I, and I, I'm, I know there probably shouldn't, but you know what I mean? A lot no, of people no, no. would go, I, oh, I, I want I, to... I, I agree with you. I, I think for a long time I, I felt that... And this is one thing about titling the work, which is untitled. I used to say untitled, untitled, all the time. <laughs> and it's very hard lately when you go back to say, which untitled was that yeah, that's untitled? True. So <laughs> there is a slight sort of housekeeping side to yeah, that. Was it untitled with a capital U or a small <laughs> yeah, U? Right. Rothko's very interesting with that. Yes, I bet. Not even his son could decipher which one. <laughs> but I think it's important to give people a... So I used to think that it it diminished the work and that it automatically... To give made, it a title? No, to, oh. to talk about it. Oh, okay, yes. That in fact it constricted it and it constrained it and it made... You may as well then have had a narrative to it or a story. Okay. Uh, which, as you see, my work is not narrative-based. Yes. Um, I don't believe that anymore. I okay. think that it's really important to talk about the work. Mm. I think it's... Um, it's a privilege to be able to talk about the work. Mm. It's certainly a privilege for me to listen to people like David and Julian speak about their work, mm. um, to hear oh, my old gallerist and friend, Gitta Weisser, is so knowledgeable. Uh, it's fantastic. It opens the work up on a whole mm. different level. Mm. It and really I, does. I think for children it's also really yes. important. So mm. I think I actually think that it doesn't diminish the work mm. yeah. I think it expands yeah. your understanding and yeah. that it would be great to talk more about it yeah. mm. I reckon you shouldn't be allowed into an abstract show unless you come to the talk <laughs> like yeah. it should be part yeah. of the 100% of the show well, I think any, any makes, show I well, think well it's like watching a, do- a, a documentary but with the sound down yes yeah. because by the end you're like well it looked great and I loved that bit and that all oh, that yeah I could see they were crying but without some sort of explanation. And, and sometimes you don't need it, right? Like, you just, you know, I love that line for no explanation. Yeah. But yeah. it does enrich the whole thing. And I suppose this is, you know, the art wank or the thing. It makes it accessible. Mm. And why wouldn't you want it to be accessible mm. to as many people yeah. as possible? Yeah, and it's not dumbing yeah. it down <clears throat> by no. giving some pointers. It's... Yeah. It's opening yeah. up. Yeah. And I think that's, exa- that's the important... That's the crux of the matter. Yeah. You don't have to dumb it down. No. no. You, you, but you, it is helpful if you open it up for people. Definitely. Yes. And maybe your mother would be interested. <laughs> I, think I think it's, it's better because it's coming from us. I think because it comes from us, we're trying to say to her... You know, well, Julie's obviously got the relationship of it's her mother, and whereas I'm like... And she knows that we do this... So she's like this, arms crossed, I will not try. <laughs> she, I mean, yeah, I think if she sat down and, and listened and to stuff, she would... Somebody else explaining it would be a completely different experience. But interestingly, when we talk to her about the landscape of the pit water where we live, she's off. Yeah. She sees the colour and the vibrations and the movement and the... So we're like, yeah. As I said, if you gave her some drugs and a paintbrush, she'd be Sally Gabori. I mean, the woman's Yoda. She is, she's, I feel like she's taken it in for 70 years and she needs to get it out. She really does. She's got it in there. And that's why I feel like, you know, abstract work can really open people up. I think so. Possibly I, I more think than you've got to find the right way to talk to people about it. Mm. And I, I'm a very keen ocean swimmer. And I will often use the analogy of the ocean, of the sea, is that whenever you, you know, I swim with a group of people and hours of discussion can be had over the texture, particular (laughs) texture of the water that day. Was it silky? Did the light hit it in that way? Was it just, and you're, but... I would say to them, look at the work in the same way. Yes. Look at the texture of the paint. Yes. Look at how that line or that colour responds to what's around it. Look at the shape. Look at why one tone sits with another. But, so it's finding the right, what mm. is the right key in mm. for who you're talking to. Mm. And children, that's really obvious. It's, sorry, not obvious, but it's easier 
Yes. Because you can actually say to them, and they'll say, oh, it's just colour, or it's just the line, or, oh, that used to be a pocket. But if you find the right metaphor in mm. or the right situation, then I think you do give people a way in yes. to the work. And yeah. I've had some fantastic conversations with um, a yoga teacher who n- knows very little about this area of art. She knows a lot about yoga, and I know a little bit about yoga, but a lot more about this area of art. And we've had, we have great discussions because we talk about the similarities. The similarities. Yeah. And well, you're, can, you're trading knowledge. Yes, and we're talking about exactly the same things. Yeah. If you talk about movement in stillness, mm. she goes, oh, yes. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So if you find the right key for people, and yes. often titles <coughs> are one way of doing it, yeah. finding the right analogy, yeah. pointing the right book for something. That's true, yeah, because I think when we were talking about the rocks in Pitwater, I said to mum, well, if you cropped it down, what you're seeing, into that sort of detail of the rock, that's abstract, right? And she's like, oh, yes. And yeah. I said, well... Yeah, but should I prefer photo? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. I think, you know, if we kept on that vein, she'd, she'd probably crack. Yeah, I, I just think them. it is. It's just finding that right way in. Yeah, and, that's true. Um, but but it doesn't mean as well that you have to like it. I was about to I say exactly really that. Important. It's okay if you don't. Yeah. You don't have to. It doesn't no. have to be your thing. It's like mm. I don't like Shakespeare, and yeah. I studied it for years. Yeah. I really gets on my tits <laughs> that we still are ramming it down our kids' throats. Mm. It's like there is so many amazing contemporary writers out there. Can we not do that? And it's also, the, the David and Julian and myself, we all own figurative works as well. Yeah. We yeah. have figurative works. Yeah. We do figurative uh, pieces. David yes. with photographs. David with paintings. Um, Julian, his objects are from the real world. Uh, not abstract at all. Yes. Um, so this has been selected for those qualities. It's not that we're against the other form. For me, I need it. I like the variation. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was another show. (laughs) Yes, Yes. definitely, definitely. You can't say it all in one. No, No. that's true. Well, and you don't want to, because if you say it all, if you say, you know, you take away, don't you? You do, and the thing is that people immediately grasp onto the figurative Mm. because it's less intimidating, because they know, okay, there's a person there, there's a... I, I understand that. And, mm. and so as soon as you put a really figurative element in here, people would just go directly to that. Mm. And that's mm. what they didn't want. And it's very important that distinction between just because there isn't narrative doesn't mean that there isn't content mm. within it. Yes. And it's very important to make that distinction. I find now... One of the problems, and it certainly happened with um, commissioned public art, is they want story. Mm. What's the story? What's Mm. the story? And you can tell a lot of story about the colours that are in pieces. They have a deep relationship to the land, to culture. But this emphasis that everything must be driven by a story, mm. to me that does diminish the work. It, it, it locks it into a particular understanding of a work, which I don't want. I want people to be able to come to a work and have their own understanding of it. I mm. have one. Mm. Yeah, it's sort another. of like a hierarchy, isn't it? It's like just to have a colour is not as important as some story... And then, you know, because I think some people would think about abstract work, yes, it's about tone or whatever, so, you know, nothing beyond that. So to have a story that they can follow is, seems hierarchically better, yes. I suppose, and that's... But, can't, but to me, that shuts it completely down. So in the sense of what I think you can make a story, you, you want people to react to the work... That and is a story. That can be like the, the story of that orange. I had a dress 
For, mm. for me, my reaction to looking at this wall for the last hour, it reminds me of that beautiful dress that I made out of a sari. I can't sew. It was just literally a, a shift that I wore when I was tra- traveling around Asia. All my memory with that color is that connection to that dress and drinking beer for breakfast. And, you know, yeah, we bring that, our histories exactly. to Exactly. So our personal histories. Those are the great narratives yeah. you can get from a yeah. color. Yeah, because yeah, there's nothing wrong with story, obviously. No, no, no. But you want to open it up to as many stories yes, as possible. Where is your, your you connection to? You don't want to narrow it down to this is the story. Yes. This is what it's saying. Yes. That's how you must understand Which is an it. insult to all of us. From it. it is. It is, and it denies all yeah. the... And that's why we're saying in that simple complexity. Exactly. Because it's denying the complexity which we all have of experience, of yes. experience in the world. And in one sense, it is very simple. We eat, we get up, we have mm. our children or don't have our children, we work, don't work. But within that, there's infinite mm. complexity. And I think that it's... Yeah, that's a very important thing to understand. Um, yes. And definitely with this work that some of it appears very simple, but there is a lot of complexity. You bring your complexity to that, yeah. and often it gives you the space to explore that complexity. Mm. And time. I think more than anything for me, I, you need to give an abstract piece more time. Yeah. And I think there's some horrible statistic of how long people spend looking at a piece. So in an exhibition as opposed to something you live with, it's like 20-something seconds, which, I mean, that's barely time to even notice what it's... The title. The title uh, and the size, let alone... I'm so against that. Well, this is... The instant and the flat... And the glossy yeah. of your what's on your phone. Mm-hmm. There was a museum in France we went to, and it was so fantastic because instead of taking the, there was a group of children, and instead of taking them around to, you know, so they're endlessly dragged around and were bored to tears, mm. they sat in front of one work mm. with their teacher, and they spoke about this one work. Mm. And they didn't have to fill in a card or because no. I found as soon as my son was given that card to fill in. He would race around. Try and get it all done. Trying to get it all done. So he could go to the shop. Yeah, tick, 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 tick. Whereas if you didn't have the card, and it's... But that that way of where you just sit in front of one work Mm. and you talk about that one work and Mm. then they will see all the other works in a very different Mm. way. So Mm. time is, I think, Mm. critical. Maybe the exhibition should just be one work. That would be nice. It would that be, would be good, wouldn't it? That would be but, really good. And uh, you have to strap into a seat and you have to stay there for an hour. Locked in. Yeah. <laughs> no machine. Yeah. And your eyes open. <laughs> Let's stop. Um, oh. Sarah, you've been, you've been very great. articulate. That PhD has done you proud. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for talking to us. We could talk for a long, long time. Oh, my goodness. We could keep... In fact, I'm strapping you to the seat. Yeah. So um, this exhibition is on till... The 4th of December. Oh, great. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, loads of time. Yeah, great. Come down to Manly and have a look at the exhibition. And it's, it's wonderful. And thank you so much for... Thank you for On a time. deep dive. Well, oh, yes. Well, thank, thank, thank you very, you very much. much. Thank, thank you. you for having me. You're welcome. Please don't forget to rate and review and share this podcast. It helps my mum and her friend Fiona get more listeners. Thank you.